time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 126 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them, too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house in historic Gettysburg, PA, Bantam Coffee Roasters. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we roasting today? We are revisiting the Costa Rican with its incredible notes of milk chocolate and wildflowers. I really love this coffee. And if you want to drink some, where do you go? BantamRoasters.com. And follow them on their social media on Facebook and Instagram. So are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am, but first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats. Orders $40 and more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. So, how are you doing? Tis the season for shearing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you're sharing and getting beat up there. I'm sitting here with my knee in a brace. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But we're doing great. It's springtime. We're really mobile and getting around. So I like how you're emphasizing that we're really mobile. (laughs) We're not feeling our age at all. No, as we're sitting there like, oh, did you take the ibuprofen? I have the knee brace (laughs) on. Like... So you didn't share this morning, but you were sharing yesterday. Yeah, well, you know, I did it to myself. So at this point, I only have four llamas and alpacas remaining. I mean, at the height of my herd 20 years ago, I had 17 or 18 of them. Right. You know, and I did all the shearing myself. But that was 17 or 18 years ago. Exactly. And so I have the four and I would have taken care of them and it would have gone pretty well. But I had to go get four more sheep. Oh, yeah. We had to make that 17 hour. And the problem, and I do use a shearer to shear all my big girls. The problem with that is that I already let the shearer know how many ewes she would be doing, and I can't just surprise her with four more. No, next year, though. Next Next year. year. So I am shearing those little devils myself this year. (laughs) It's great because I can pick them up. I can pick them up. I can sit them on their butt. I can do all that stuff. But the fact that they're so low is what's hard. Yeah. Like instead of bending over to shear, I'm like kneeling. It just doesn't go well. Yeah. And my knee wouldn't be good. I took a bad fall in the fall and my knee hasn't been right since. So I'm out gardening. Yeah. And it's re-aggravating it right now and cleaning coops and everything else this morning. So we're in good shape. Hey, but we're at the table. We're drinking coffee. It's a beautiful day. You know what else? You don't have to shear chickens. But I do have to shear three Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Yeah. And those little buggers are wiggly, yeah. let me tell you. Yeah. And they grow like Dr. Seuss feet. Like all the hair kind of protrudes from their yeah. toes. I know, yeah. yeah. And they hate it. The spring is the busiest time of the year. It is. My seedlings are taking off. And what did you call them today? They're a little leggy. <laughs> hey, but they're growing, man. They're they growing. They're growing. They're a little leggy. But this is the first time you've ever started seeds. So you'll get there. You're doing great. They're growing. Yeah. That's the only thing that matters to me. I'm like, they're growing. The they're green. The thing will be whether or not they take once we transplant them outside. Yeah. And I'm sure that you'll get some of them and it will do really well. Some may not. Nothing some may. better than harvesting your own food. Hey, if it works, it works. Everybody should try it. Do something small that you never thought you want to do. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to the store and buying a plant, buy the packet of seeds. For the vegetables, I did go to the dollar store and buy four packs for a dollar there. Especially if you're not experienced, it's worth it. It's a dollar. And if you try it and you fail, it's a dollar. I mean, you probably should have come to me, though, because I'm kind of a seed hoarder. Oh, well. Not really. That's okay. But I like, I have a lot of seeds. I would not want to do that if you had good seeds. But the dollar store seeds are growing. It works. You're using them like a beginner seed packet and they're working. Yeah, they're working. Okay, so if you're gardening out there, raise your hand. Tell us about it. Send some pictures of what you're growing for your chickens. We would love to see it. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button. You wouldn't think it, but it really is an awesome way to help us grow. The other thing is you never miss an episode. You can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can tell some chicken-loving friends about the podcast. You can visit our Etsy shop, take a look at the mugs and t-shirts we have. You can become a patron of the show. 
patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our Lovers of Membership. Thank you to the new members. Thank you and to welcome patrons. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our website, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the February box, I absolutely love the red iron rooster trivet and the seed block. I really love that egg timer. It's going to be great when I'm baking. And those chicken stickers are going to be awesome on notes I send out. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery. Defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. I... Want to swing from the chandelier? It's this week's Breed Spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this week's Breed Spotlight is... The Chandelier. (laughs) (laughs) And I will always know this chicken is the chandelier. And so will the rest of us. Yes, it's just an easy way to remember it by association. Okay, so start us off. The Chandelier is a relatively modern Dutch breed of chicken, and they have an interesting story. So they are children of the 1970s. Like us? Yes. And their origins stem from a genetics lecture at a breeder's club, followed by some adult refreshments. That sounds good. Yeah, it's a little different. Sounds different. Sounds fun. Now, to make sense of their story, we're going to start with their appearance. We're going to do things a little bit out of order. Okay, so a medium-sized bird with a long and sloping body and a long tail. Right. Think Yokohama, but the tail is not quite as long. So it comes out and it has long feathers, but they don't drag on the ground. Yeah, they're not as long nearly. Now, when I look at this chicken, I see a Sumatra. So let's well, just put that out there. Funny you should say that, but we'll come to that later. <laughs> yes. The Shindelar also have a small head. They have a red face, a peak home, and a small crest. And they have small red earlobes, yellow legs, and a yellow or light yellow beak. The hens have a shorter and slightly more upright tail, and they lay green eggs. And ham? Maybe. (laughs) I can't say green eggs without thinking and ham. So let's go into how they got their name. Right, the rest of the story. The breed is named for a town in the Netherlands where they were developed, Scheindel. So there was a veterinarian named Rude Kassenbrood, and Dr. Kassenbrood was giving a lecture on basic genetics and the laws of Mendel to the local breeders club. Again, this is in the 1970s. Right. Remember, breeders couldn't find all this information. You'd be lucky if you had a few books. So Dr. Kassenbrew was explaining how the amateur breeders could improve their current stock. But he mentioned that if you use the laws of heredity, you can develop a whole new breed of chicken and you could call it the Scheindelar. I think he was just making a joke out of it. Yeah. He didn't think that his lecture had made much of an impression, but the subject came up again later while the meeting goers were enjoying an after meeting chat with some booze. Some Cosmos. Maybe. Cass and Brood and the other breeders, they put together this theoretical chicken. They started with a Brabanter for a crest and to give them a good genetic base. Right. Plus, the Brabanter is an old Dutch heritage breed that was developed in the Scheindel region. Listeners, if you want to check out the Brabanter, we profile them back in episode 86. So many episodes to go back and quote. So I mean, many. So many breeds. 
So they decided they wanted the Schindler to have green eggs. So they added an Arcana, probably an Arcana rooster. Right. Now, here's where your other bird comes in. Yes. So they wanted the long body and the long tail from the Sumatra. That's right. And they added in laying ability and dominant white color genes from the always amazing leghorn. So when I look at this bird, that's what I see that pops up at me the most is the Sumatra's body shape. So that must be a pretty dominant gene there in that body shape to make that long sloping body with the tail the way it is. We will come back to the Sumatra several times. So yeah, I agree with you. The Sumatra really had a heavy influence on this breed. At some point over the next couple of years, Cassin Brood was so inspired by the theoretical chicken that he did start developing them. Now, I found in one source that the early Schindelars were mostly black and blue. Again, that's your Sumatra. Yeah. They also have that very Sumatra-like body and tail. Now, it was the addition of the leghorns and the dominant white color genes that led to white being the main color for the Schindler breed. I mean, it's really pretty because the Sumatra is a black chicken. Yeah, black, blue, yeah. And this one is all white. They would be great in a flock together. Oh, they would, they would look beautiful together. They would look yeah. beautiful together. And it was the white variety of the Schindler that was recognized by the Netherlands in 2001. And that was followed by some of the other European countries. I can see that. I, I think Germany among them. So in the rest of Europe, you can find Schindelars in blue, black, cuckoo, and chocolate. Which are probably really cool looking. Yeah, really. Here in the U.S., white. White. You get white. And that, <laughs> you, get and you white. like it. <laughs> and that's because Greenfire Farm imported the white Schindelar in 2018. Thank you for doing what you do over at Greenfire Farm, getting these birds over here so that we can enjoy the breeds also. And if they imported the Schindelar in 2018, that means they've probably only been available for a year or two. Very rare. Very. And hopefully they're going to be getting some more colors soon. That would be nice. That's a good question. Yeah. Let's talk about the hens, the respectable layers of green or blue eggs. And they lay about 150 eggs. We talked about this before. The lake horn brought that number up because the Sumatra is not a good layer. The Sumatra, probably you get 80 to 100 eggs. Right. So bringing that number up to 150 is a feat. And it didn't even bring it up that much, but it does bring them up into the respectable layer. Well, you know, if you're going to try to get some egg laying genes in there, they went to the one breed that could probably get it done. Well, yeah. And this is the thing. This bird needs some help. So if you wanted to start a conservation effort... This bird would be one because you're going to get more eggs than some of the other birds that are in the same realm. Like the long tail group. Exactly. Like a lot of them, you would get like 20 eggs. You know what I mean? So this one, you're going to get 150 eggs. Now, we want to go back to the color because Dr. Kassenbrood's aim was to do green eggs. But the crew at Greenfire Farm say they do see a lot of blue as well. I mean, that's a fine line right there. Blue and green already on the color spectrum. Mm -hmm. This one, I can see how it could be hard to go from green and blue and make it exact every single one. I mean, I'm not that picky. I'm happy with green or blue, honestly. Me too. They're all beautiful. Mm -hmm. Because the Shindelar is so rare, I had a hard time finding out a lot about their personality. I finally tracked down some reviews on a breeder's website, and all reports say that they are docile and very friendly birds. They look super cute. They are cute. And like I said, they're different. And if you want a different type of bird for your homestead and you want a fancier bird, This might be one for you. 150 eggs isn't a lot, but it isn't a little either. Right. It's a respectable amount of eggs. They're not going to be a table bird. No. They're not dual purpose. They do enjoy foraging. Because their tail doesn't quite drag on the ground, they might be good at things like turning over garden beds and compost piles. Yeah, that'd be a great fancy addition to your chicken flock. I mean, if you are using them as a homestead bird, I don't think they're going to stay shining white. None of them do that are white. I mean, my Delaware apple blossom, she is multicolored now. I mean, Lucy, <laughs> God bless her. I try to keep her as clean as possible. Yeah, but it does, and Rita, yeah. and they're the ones that get pooped on. I'm like, you're white birds. Stop getting pooped on. They get on. pooped on. They find everything under the sun to roll in. And yeah, yeah I mean, they're many natural sheets. But they're beautiful. And I really see this bird in a chicken lady flock. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you want to get a little fancier, but still get the eggs. Greenfire Farm notes that this bird is not cold hardy. So here we go. You have to think about where you live in the world, especially if, okay, if we're looking in the United States to go through Greenfire Farm, you're going to need to be in a warmer area or have a heat source. Right. So it looks like the issue with them, because they're pretty heavily feathered, the issue with them is not frostbite so much as it is the fact that they're a small bodied bird. Let's talk about the male size. They're going to be 4.4 to 5.4 pounds. So roughly four and a half pounds to roughly five and a half pounds. And then the girls are about 3.3 to about 
4.4. So okay. they're about leghorn size. They they're a little smaller. Like maybe Fayumi size edging up to a leghorn. So, so the bitter cold is not going to be a good for them. No. This might be a good warm weather bird if you're in a place in the south or on the west coast where it's mm-hmm. a little bit warmer and you want to get a little fancy. Yeah. They're beautiful. I, I don't think they're that much of a utility bird. I mean, no. I really do see them a lot more as a good layer or really a pretty bird for a chicken lady's flock. A chicken lady flock yeah. bird. Yeah. And it's a good addition. And Greenfire Farm is a place to go. Right. There are some breeders who have Greenfire stock that they're offering. You can Google and see if there's someone in your area, or you can go right to Greenfire. And if you want to show us pictures, we would love to see them. Send them over to us, DM us on Instagram, and we'll give you a story. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Nestera.us. For a 5% discount, use the affiliate link in our show notes, on our website, and on Instagram. Link in bio. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We personally use Roosties products with our chickens, and we're huge fans. They have their awesome nesting pads, do-it-yourself feeder and waterer kits, and they've just released their best product ever, a new chick feeder and waterer set. They have adjustable legs to keep food and water clean. They're super well-made, and the feeder even has a removable lid so it can easily be filled from the top. So if you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, all their products are available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Check out the Roosty store on Amazon or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so let's move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. This week's main topic, we're going across the pond and having... Coffee with me, yeah, yeah. See, you can try to sing along this time. I know that's going to come out really badly, but I don't care because I gave it a try. It's fun. (laughs) So it's our monthly roundtable with Fiona. Fiona, welcome back. How are you doing this month? Absolutely fantastic. Lockdown has been lifted. The chicks are running free. (laughs) So we've had some listener questions about breeding and hatching your own chickens. So we have gone to the expert on this subject. I still find that really quite bizarre thinking I'm the expert on this subject. But yes, you are the expert. We're all always learning. So you never think you are the expert, but other people definitely. That's where I'm coming from because I'm still learning. I learn something new every day about this, but I've got a lot of experience in it now. Yes. Yeah. So exactly. One of the questions that's come up that we'll talk to on is how to check for fertility to make sure your guy is doing his job. We're also going to check on having a rooster plan. Because when you hatch chicks, you get lots of cockerels. And then we're going to check on Taffy because Taffy's broody. Oh, yes. And actually, we do a monthly roundup of the self-sufficient year, as we call it, on our YouTube channel. And you'll actually see a clip of me in there lifting Taffy up and giving her eggs this month. Oh, And she's, <laughs> honestly, she's so sweet. She just sits there and lets me lift her up. Our broody hands. Pretty hens have a really bad reputation, don't they, as being, they can be quite aggressive and snappy and wanting to bite. Ours aren't. They are so laid back. She just sits there and allows her, I'm practically lifting up a whole front end, putting these eggs underneath her, and she just lets me. I've had a broody head be mean to me. I've never had one go after me. No, Martha was sweet as pie. If you're a new listener, and I know we have a lot of new listeners, Fiona breeds absolutely beautiful buff English Orpingtons. Thank you. They're stunning. Joe is in London right now as we're recording this, and I told him to meet up with you and get one and bring one home. But he hasn't called. (laughs) (laughs) Fiona hatches with broody hens. I think it's becoming more popular, but you hatch almost all of your stock with a broody hen. Yeah, I mean, we've only recently started hatching some in an incubator. And that's really because people have asked us for chicks. And we don't normally sell chicks. We sell point of lay, so when they're much, much older. Now, if a broody hen hatches a chick, we will not separate that chick from the broody hen until the broody hen decides she wants to make them independent. And it's just like humans will send their kids off to college, won't they? 
Well, this is what the broody hen does. And that's the point where we will put our youngsters up for sale. But that means that day-old chicks or week-old chicks or two-week-old chicks, we've never sold them before. But we've had quite a few friends this year because of the problems with getting hold of chickens, actually, in the UK. um, It's become a real problem. And getting hold of eggs in the UK. A lot more people, friends of ours, have wanted to expand the number of hens that they've got. So they've asked us to hatch some for them, but they don't want to wait until they're older. They want them as day-old chicks and then to raise them themselves in a brooder. So we've been doing some incubating and artificial incubators really for the first time in a big way. That's what I wanted to start with is if you're going to start the endeavor of breeding chickens for yourself, for your friends, for a business, if you want to use a broody hen, that's the most natural way. It's going to be the easiest process on you. But If the broody hen breaks, you're going to be left with some eggs. So I want to go through and just touch on the fact that if you're going to go through this endeavor, you have to really have a standby incubator there to help you along the way in case these problems happen. Yeah. And actually on hatch day, incubating, no problem at all. Broody hens are normally really reliable and will go through the entire process. Once in a blue moon, you'll have a broody hen that breaks. And if you want those eggs to be viable, you need to whip them out and get them in an incubator. But on hatch day, there's a whole other ballgame because your eggs are supposed to hatch on day 21. But anyone who's actually hatched eggs before knows that sometimes eggs start on day 20, sometimes eggs start on day 22. And a broody hen will, after the first eggs hatched, within 24 to 48 hours, she will take whatever chicks have hatched, leave the coop, Whether you've got food and water in there at all, there's a natural instinct for them to take those chicks that have already hatched out and find food and water outside the coop. That means any eggs which are still hatching or going through that process will quickly succumb to hypothermia. So I always recommend anyone who wants to maximise their clutch size and make sure that those eggs which are left in the nest are viable and have a chance to live because with the booty hen gone, they don't whip them out, get them in an incubator, pop them in a brooder until you can return them to the broody hen. But if you don't have that equipment, those chicks absolutely will succumb to hypothermia and will die. Right. It's one of those things, and we talked about this in other episodes about incubators and the importance of them. And we've gone through all the different styles and everything. So it's easy to make that decision. That means on hatch day, you have to have them up and running. Not like you can plug them in. You have to have Absolutely humidity where it needs to right. be. You have to yep. have all of those things running. Ready to go. Time. And there's also the new technology of coop cams, which can Ooh, really love them. be your best friend for hatch day. We like to keep an eye on the hatch. Absolutely. And the coop cams have been an absolute game changer for us because we don't want to disturb the broody hen because it could be the case with certain breeds, not with ours, but with some breeds, if they get threatened or think the the eggs are at risk, that could be the end of your hatch completely. Mm-hmm. It's not something we have with the Orpingtons, I'm very, very glad to say. But having a coop camp means we can keep a live view of what's going on without actually going into the coop. Now, when we don't have that, I've got a number of old cameras, which I use, sorry, cameras on phones, and I put them on mini tripods. And it doesn't give me a live view, but every couple of hours I'll take one out and swap another one in. And I can just replay the footage and see if there's anything which concerns me in there to see whether there's anything that really good I need idea. to intervene on. Yeah. But really? without that, again, I'll keep walking up and down past the coop every hour or so. And I'll be listening for anything unusual that's going on. If the hen is making an awful lot of noises, which aren't the normal encouraging noises, They do this kind of low booming noise, which communicates with the chick inside the egg. And I'm listening for chicks which are sounding happy. If you hear constant kind of in distress, I'll intervene and open up and see what's going on. If I hear the broody hen in distress making constant kind of high pitched noises, I will open up the coop and look in. But yeah, day 20 to day 22 is really stressful for us. Yeah. So we know what we need. The coop cam's great added feature. You need the incubator. Tell us about picking your rooster that you want to use to breed. And then let's pick your brain. How do you check his fertility and make sure he's going to do his job? Well, the first thing I want to say is watch him. Check his technique. Because honestly, (laughs) we had one rooster who climbed on backwards. Oh, Oh, no. 
Really? Yeah, so he was clearly never, ever going to give us for a <laughs> Four hens. There's four hens. They were like, yeah. So that's the first thing. Make sure he looks like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. That's the first thing. But then it all depends how many cockles you've actually got. I mean, how many roosters do you have with your hens? If you have more than one rooster, what you'll need to do is isolate the one rooster you're testing the fertility for with your hens. And the reality is you need to be doing it probably for 21 days on their own before you then give seven days where you're collecting eggs. And that's because the sperm from any other rooster will last for at least 21 days. The hens can store it in their bodies and it will be gradually released to fertilize their eggs inside their bodies. It's just one of those things. Now, you can isolate for seven days because obviously the amount of sperm the hen stores in the body from the roosters will gradually go down over 21 days. But there's still a chance that they're still using another rooster sperm. So your best bet is 21 days, then start collecting eggs. Then when you've got enough eggs, pop them in an incubator. Now, what we would normally do is because the incubators we've got are trays, and seven eggs will fit in a tray. We will keep 14 eggs. And then when we've got 14, we'll put those in. And then when we've got another 14, we'll put those in. We incubate for seven days and then we will candle. So we shine a bright light through the egg and we look for any development and growth. And at that point, what we should see is the start of eyes being formed, which oh, are wow. two little dots floating around that you can see. Seven days, you said? We candle at seven days. Actually, we started to candle at five because it's very easy to tell at five days whether there's any growth. Now, for us, I know a lot of people throw away the eggs, but actually we have a very good friend who takes the eggs from us and then carries on incubating them. Oh, wow. So, Definitely. yeah, then he hatches them. He's got turnovers. He can replace any hens that got old and died from his flock. So it works really well for us. That's great, really. What do you look for when you're choosing your cockerels? Are you looking for breed standard? Are you looking for personality? It's a combination of things. So first and foremost, it's temperament. We want them to be friendly, docile, any sign of aggression. Absolutely not. We're not going to breed from them because we do not want aggression, any hens in the flock that we're going to keep going forward. We don't want our buyers getting hens or roosters that have got any aggression in them as well because a lot of people are buying from us for pets and you know family pet you don't want aggression so number one is temperament that's the first thing we go for second thing we look for is breed conformity so we go by the orpington club of great britain so we look at their breed standards and basically we want to make sure that they comply then we are looking for size because we are a small holding So we are looking for the old-fashioned utility bird that's going to do eggs and some meat as well because you've got to do something with cockles and you get 50% cockles hatched. And then it's fertility is the last thing we're looking for. So even the hens as well, we want to make sure those eggs are coming out fertile. Now, usually it's the rooster that we're testing. But for example, this year we have one hen called Jura. None of her eggs are fertile at all. The reality is what will happen with Jury, whether she broods or not, she will be sold as a family pet to someone because her eggs are beautiful. For eating eggs, they're absolutely wonderful, but they're not fertile at all, unfortunately. She's a lovely hen, though. She's so affectionate. Aww. I know. So before you start breeding, and okay, so you have all the stuff, you're sure that your rooster is fertile, you've done all these things. Now you have to have what we call the rooster plan. The rooster plan is crucial in one way, shape, or form. Someone is going to make a decision regarding these roosters. If you are involved in chickens in any capacity, whether it's hobby, breeding, anything, you are essentially either making that decision yourself or you are allowing a hatchery or another company to make that decision for you. So the rooster plan is your own practical plan, what you're going to do when your roosters hatch. Because you're going to have roosters, yeah. you will. You will. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's harder when you're hatching and breeding because when you're doing it from a distance, if you're buying hens from someone, you're not making the decision. It is harder when you're making the decision yourself. Right. But it makes sense before you start because the decision will be yours 
to think about it before you even begin the process. And there's a whole array of things that could happen that you could choose to do. Now, the commercial hatcheries, as we know, they will actually make the decision probably on day one or day two of the chick's life. If it's male, that chick will be culled. That's what will happen in a commercial hatchery. You could opt to grow them on, keep them, grow them. But then you would either need to make a decision, are you keeping them? Do you have the space to keep multiple bachelor roosters? No, there are people who do it. Allie's raising her hand now. Holly being one of them. (laughs) Kelly over at Poultry DVM runs seminars on how to create this bachelor flock. That's a possibility that you keep all your boys together. They can't see any girls. Keep this in mind. And they're really calm. They're really calm, aren't they? They, they, It works really nicely. And Holly has a bachelor flock and it works for her. That's one possibility is that you're coming into this knowing I'm going to hatch five chickens. If I get three boys, we're going to put them in a bachelor flock away from the girls and we're going to have two separate flocks. You have to be prepared. One, they they really can't see the hen. So you have to be prepared for space. I have bantam nankins. That's not the same as an Orpington bachelor flock. That would be a lot different. So you need space. You have to be prepared to feed them. All of those considerations that go along with them. The rooster plan can't be like pie in the sky. It can't be like vague. You can't just say, oh, I'm just going to find a home for them. Yeah. The problem is that not many people want roosters because many, many places have noise control and lots of people have neighbors and neighbors don't like roosters crowing at 4 a.m. And they will crow at 4 a.m. That's the reality. So you would need to be prepared potentially to keep them in. And then you may still have noise complaints and problems. So you would need to say, well, if you're going to give them away, you need to know who's actually going to take them. So typically for us, what will happen is from our hatching, we're probably hatching about 100 chickens a year. So there's 50 hens, 50 cockerels. In one year, even if we offer to give away one cockerel with a number of hens, we'll probably only be giving away or selling two cockerels out of those 50. That's it. So we have to have a plan for the other 48. Now, there are such things as rooster rescue centres, but they Mm -hmm. are few and far between. I only know of one in the UK, and that's Um, in the north of Scotland. In the US, if they exist, they generally do not advertise because they'll have like 200 roosters on their doorstep every spring. Yeah, I could imagine that. But it is a real problem, and everyone wants to breed on their own and have that experience, but it is only fair to that being to have a rooster plan before you start. You were telling us something interesting before that you do rehome two of them. Usually you send them with the hens. Yes, we will send an unrelated cockle because we do sell to some smallholders, which are essentially homesteaders here in the UK, and they want to start small breeding flocks of their own because we do actually buy in some eggs because we always want an unrelated cockle for breeding because of the genetics aspect. So we will have some unrelated cockles and some unrelated hens, and they will go out as a group. But there'll be one cockle with maybe eight to ten hens. But that's only two of them. So your other option is to grow the roosters on, and when they get to maturity, at that point, they become table birds. That's the other option. And everyone's going to be different. But having an idea in your own mind before you start, which is the option which works for you and make that decision. Now, if none of them are comfortable for you, buy hens, but just be aware that someone else is still making that decision. So for each hen you buy, someone else has made a decision about another cockerel. So if you are buying sex pullets or chicks, you're not getting any roosters, just be aware that you have given the responsibility of making that decision to the hatchery or the breeder or whomever else you're getting those chickens from. Right. Yeah. But if hatching or breeding is for you, I highly recommend the broody hen route because your big advantage is that not only do you have to have very little involvement in the incubating process, you just need to make sure your broody hen is healthy and keep an eye on her. But once those chicks are hatched, she does everything. She makes sure that they're warm enough. She makes sure they've got enough food. She makes sure they've got enough water. She makes sure they're protected as well. So a lot of people are afraid of letting the broody hens and chicks out with the flock because the chicks are so vulnerable. But they forget broody hens are really, really protective. So she will make sure that any flock members who are likely to be a threat are put firmly in their place. And it's brilliant. She does everything for them. 
So in a free range situation like you have, the birdie yes. head has a lot of places she can take the babies. Would you be cautious of letting the birdie head and the chicks out in a flock that's in a smaller run? Absolutely. New listeners won't know this, but I've talked about this a lot. We have something called flock down here in the UK. So over winter, because of avian influenza, legally, we have had to keep our chickens either indoors or in a fully netted enclosure. So we've had our flock in an enclosure. It's a large enclosure. And our winter flock is just our breeding group. So it's quite small. There's only 12 chickens at the moment. That's it. But they've got a 21 metre by 3 metre run. So it's very, very big for that number of chickens. But there is absolutely no way that we would let a broody hen with her chicks hatch in that environment. We wouldn't feel safe. And that's because the broody hen actually, to keep the chicks safe, maintains a distance when she's out with the flock for the very first time. It's almost like if you think of it like Pluto around the sun. Mm-hmm. So the main flock is the sun. And gradually, as the chicks grow, they get closer and closer and closer until she's Mercury in the end, you know, right beside that sun. It's really interesting to see. And she gradually introduces them to the pecking order as well. So right at the beginning, in the first few days, none of the flock members are allowed near them. She's kind of looking and saying, that's a flock over there. You know that they exist, but you're not going near them. And the flock, you're not allowed near them. So it's that separation. And then gradually, as the chicks get older, she takes them closer and closer and closer, and she allows more and more contact. So the chicks safely get to know about the pecking order. So initially, she'll let those hens, which are a bit gentler and just curious, but not a threat, she'll let them come a little bit closer. She might even let them have a little light tap on the head when the chick gets a little uppity, but it'll be no more than that. And then right at the end, just before she makes them independent, it's every chick for himself. All of the other flock members are allowed to come up and properly chastise the chick. But by that stage, they're not actually doing any damage. They're not hurting them. It's fascinating to see, but it does mean that chicks raised with a broody hen are more likely to integrate with a ready-made flock. So if you already have five, six, seven, eight chickens, and you're wanting to introduce new youngsters, if they've been raised with a broody hen, they understand that they need to be subordinate when they join an existing flock. Whereas if you buy chicks from a hatchery and raise them, they've only known chicks their own age. So they might be lead chicken in their small group and come out thinking, I am the big I am, be faced by head hen, and oh (laughs) my goodness, war breaks out. So I guess the thing to remember in all of this is this is a big package that you're going to do. It's not just, okay, I'm going to hatch these eggs and that's going to be it. You have to have the right tools. You have to have your rooster plan. You have to know incubator, broody, both of them together in conjunction, flock dynamics. There's a lot to breeding. It's not an easy thing. No. And if you don't have the space, I would say don't release your youngsters with the flock. Once the chicks are old enough and stronger and bigger, then do an introduction as if you're bringing new hens into a flock and do it that way. It's safer for them, much safer. We know that you've got Taffy and she's broody. So let's do a little mini broody report. Oh, she's amazing. So she's away from the flock now. So she's in her own coop with a run. And the reason we do that is because, as you know, hens like to lay in exactly the same spot where eggs already exist. So if the main flock had access to her, they would be in fighting for her nest, pulling her off. Potentially eggs get broken. And then if they did lay an egg in that clutch, that egg's never going to hatch in a million years and it could be pushing out a viable egg. So the best thing to do is have Taffy with some peace and quiet in her own coop. She's got a run, so she's got some outdoor space. And I'll say this once, I'll say it twice. Poop is your friend. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because actually what we need to make sure is that Taffy comes out once a day to eat as much as possible, drink as much as possible and to empty her bowels. Now, poop is my friend because if I see poop in the run, I know she's been out. I know she's done the healthy thing. There's no poop in the run. I need to lift her out, actually shut the door to stop her getting back in for a few minutes until she has done her business, eaten a lot, drunk a lot, and then she can go back in. But I will never, ever lock her out of the coop for more than half an hour. Right. Now, she may choose to be out for up to an hour at the moment. But I will always have the door shut for a maximum of 30 minutes. That's it. And then she can go back in. Sometimes she's just not ready to. That girl wants to sit on some eggs and get some babies. 
oh, she's totally committed, <laughs> totally committed. When Martha was broody, because she's so tiny, I would take her off the nest. Well, she would come off the nest once by herself, but I would lift her yeah. off again at the end of the day to make sure she had adequate nutrition. And if your broody hen's doing what she needs to do, she's going to get up for that cool down period and she knows how long she's going to be off the nest. She'll come back. Yes. It's weather dependent as well, isn't it? That's a strange yeah. thing. They do know. And that's why it makes it so much easier than using the incubator. I mean, it's just well, so the, much easier. The interesting thing about incubators is, especially like the Brinzy that I have, the more modern incubators, they have the cool yeah. down period in there. You can program it right in, which I thought was fantastic. The different thing for me is I know you were lifting Martha off. I actually just put hot mash in once a day right in front of her in a, in a small dog bowl, right in front of her beak, and she always eats it. So I know that she's getting extra nutrition without actually leaving the nest. Right. That's a good idea with the mash. I didn't try that. I literally just lifted around and let her do her thing. But that's a good idea. If it's right in front of their face. Yeah, she likes the smell. It's actually chick crumb as well. It's something about chick crumb with the warm water. The aroma is just so enticing for them. And she gobbles it all up. When your broody hen's going to be eating chick mash for the next however many weeks anyway, right. yeah, yeah, may as well get her used to the chick. Exactly. Food. So she's going to be giving us some babies. We're going to be seeing some really cool videos. Everybody do yourself a favor. Check out Fiona's videos on the Fluke Lady and English Country Life on Instagram and English Country Life on YouTube. Thank you, Fiona, for talking with us about breeding this month. We love talking with Anytime. you. Anytime. And I'll give you a taffy update next month. Sounds Absolutely. Great. We'll talk to you later. See you. Bye. Bye. We just want to thank Fiona one more time for a really fantastic roundtable. There's a lot of good information there. Fiona is a master breeder of English Orpingtons. Don't forget to check out her YouTube channel, English Country Life, for all of her fantastic videos. Okay, so let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. This week, we sat together at the table and we came up with this recipe. We kind of searched different things, what we wanted to do. We knew that we wanted to do something with kale. Right. So we decided we were going to make a quick bread, like a harvest quick bread. And then we kind of like looked around and what can we add in here? What can we do this to make mm -hmm. this? And this is going to be called our garden harvest kale bread. And before you turn your nose up at it, try it. It's really, really good, especially with a glass of white wine. Kale is one of those things. It's a superfood. You want to get it in your diet as many places as you can. And if you're like me, I've tried making kale chips. I'm not a huge fan of them, to be honest with I'm you. I'm not either. I use it a million other ways. I try to use it different ways because, you know, they're bitter. I don't care if you bake them, whatever. They're still a little bitter to me. Have you tried baby kale? I have. Okay. Yeah, it's all a little bitter. So a lot of people put it in smoothies. A lot of people do whatever. Try to get it in where you can because it is a superfood. So we were like, hey... This is the season of kale right now. Kale is oh, yeah. an early springtime harvest. So let's go through the ingredients that you're going to need for your bread. It's going to be a simple quick bread with everything added in. You're going to do two and a half cups of all-purpose flour or gluten-free, one-to-one, a tablespoon of baking powder, a teaspoon of garlic powder, a teaspoon of salt, a half of a tablespoon of fresh chives, and a half of a tablespoon of fresh oregano if you don't have them. You want to use a little bit less if you're using dried. It's a little stronger. Yeah, you want to use more like a teaspoon. Right. So you're going to like yeah. half it. A quarter cup of chopped black olives. What's a quick bread without walnuts or some kind of nut? We're going to use walnuts, but you can use pecans. You can use what you want in there. I've used pecans in my bread before. It's really good. Yeah, there, it'll be a little on the sweeter side. Yeah. The kale will too. But we know so. how this house works. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half cups of shredded kale. You're going to do three quarters cup of your crumbled feta cheese. Now, if you need this to be dairy-free, you can potentially find feta, but it's very difficult to find. Holly said she has some trouble finding it. Yeah. So you can use a dairy-free Parmesan as a substitute. Mm -hmm. You need a half a cup of olive oil, your two eggs, of course, your Greek yogurt or your dairy-free plain yogurt, and then we had three quarters of a cup of milk or plant-based milk. And Holly likes to use oat in hers. She just says that's the richest. So mm -hmm. you're getting vantage point with these recipes from both sides. Since we both eat two different things, it's a good thing. Absolutely. Preheat your oven to 350 and you're going to grease or spray a nine by five inch loaf pan, standard size loaf yeah. pan. You're going to take a large mixing bowl, put your flour, baking powder, garlic and salt and whisk them. Then you're going to mix in your herbs, the kale, the olives, the walnuts and the optional feta cheese or optional Parmesan. In a medium bowl, whisk together all of your liquid ingredients, the oil, the eggs, the yogurt, and the milk. You're going to pour that into the dry ingredient and mix it really well with a wooden spoon or some other large thing that'll help you with the mixing because it'll be thick. 
pour that into your loaf pan. You're going to bake it 45 to 50 minutes or until a tester comes out clean. It's a heavy bread. Now, when you shred your kale, make sure you shred it, you rinse it, and you really wring it out and dry it. Or else your bread is going to be soggy. It's the same type of thing that if you're going to use spinach, you want to make sure that you're really drying this kale out. Yeah. Wring it in a dish towel. Make sure you get all the moisture out of it. You can either put this in large muffins and make you it into make a muffin. Muffins, yeah. I take yeah. my quick bread recipes. Sometimes if I don't feel like the quick bread, I make them into muffins. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty versatile for whatever you need it. Yeah. The yeah. bread tends to take a little longer than right. the muffins It's a heavy bread. It has thick ingredients. Yeah. When it comes to the kale, my favorite thing to do with greens is wash them and blot them dry and then roll them up like you're rolling a cigar and yeah. just slice them. That's how I do it too. It gives you a really nice shredded greens. I, it's hard if you're going to be trying to shred tiny little pieces of oh, kale. Yeah, it's exactly. going to be hard. Rolling is definitely the yep. key just as finely as you can mm-hmm. because you don't want heavy big chunks of this right. in your bread. Right. You want it to be shredded as much as possible. And then let it cool before slicing. And I always add powdered sugar on the top of all my quick breads. I know this is savory, but I do it. Okay. But I would top it with whatever you want. Yeah. It's an easy recipe. You can you can make it however you like, add what you want to it, subtract what you don't like. Okay. So try it. You might like it. Let us know what you think and send us pictures. Okay. So let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. This week's retail therapy, we're talking with Annie Wang. Annie's from Strong Animals Chicken Essentials, and she has brought some really great new products to talk to us about. We just love these. Enjoy the interview. Hey, Annie, welcome back to the show. Hey, ladies. Thanks for having me. Anytime. It is our pleasure. So you have a bunch of nifty new products sitting behind you. And one of the ones that we love the most, maybe we can start off with, is Preen Queen. Yes. We love it. Mm -hmm. So do you use it on a regular basis or have you just got started? So I just got started with it and only briefly because we've been having a lot of weather and my dust baths aren't covered unless they're the chicken made dust baths under the coops. (laughs) Um, I love the fact that you can put it in, you know, you can make a dust bath and put it in there and it's all this beneficial stuff for them. What are some of the really good stuff in Preen Queen? Preen Queen has peppermint essential oil, citronella essential oil. And then, of course, organic diatomaceous earth. So it's been a lifesaver for me in our coop because we live in Minnesota where the winters are long and hard. Mm -hmm. There was a point this winter we had six feet of snow. So there's nowhere for the chickens to go dust bathe outside. So I have to make my own inside the coop. And Preen Queen has literally saved our our situation here in Minnesota. Something I do around my rons is I grow citronella. It's known to repel bugs as Mm. a plant. So having that in the dust bath and having them rub in it, it's going to keep the bugs off of them. The peppermint too. Peppermint does the same thing. Oh, yeah. It's so great. It's a great feature. I mean, people use that on themselves. And so when you hear those two things, it's like, ooh, I'll give that a try. And of Mm -hmm. course, they're perfectly safe for your chickens. So... That would be the next chicken lady exercise. That would be kind of fun out there with the dust bath with your chicken. Right? You, as a chicken lady, can do it with your chickens. That's you right. Can, you can mix Preen Queen in. Like I mix some wood ash in and I mix some other things in there. So you can mix it in and customize it. But it's an amazing base if you're it making is. dust baths. Yeah. There's a scoop that comes in it that's really easy to just sprinkle over your dust bath. So even your outside dust baths that they make on their own. I just go out there and sprinkle Preen Queen right in there, homemade dust baths as well. All set in there. Yeah. yep. It's an amazing product. We love it. And it's one of those we say you can't go wrong with it. It's all natural and it's going to repel those bugs. So that's great. Yes, for sure. Okay. So let's move on to the next new product, which we absolutely love. They are the packets of the electrolytes. We have two new packets. They're the electrolytes and vitamins and then the prebiotics and the probiotics. These are great for if people pick up chicks at their local farm supply store, if they order them through the mail, go to your hatchery or whatever. These little packets, you mix one packet with a gallon of water. So we all know that when you get chicks, they need to stay hydrated and they need to get off to a really good start. Strong animals couldn't have made it any easier when using these. And I always want to tell people this part. If you are interested in the electrolytes and vitamins and the pre and probiotics, you can mix both packets together in one gallon of water. That's perfectly safe. If you want to just jump and combine it all, that's Flock Fixer. 
That's so, one of our all-time favorite absolutely. products that you guys have. Flock Fixer is amazing. Flock Fixer has literally saved some of my chickens' lives. You know, we just want to be honest and transparent with the customer base and just tell people that, yes, these packets separately are incredible. But if you want them combined, then go just jump right to Flock Fixer. I won't go through a summer without Flock Fixer. It is our go-to for these terrible hot Maryland summers. Yeah, and when it's super cold too. Anytime they're stressed. Exactly. And the other thing that we should mention at the same time is having that chick kit the chick kit is one of our all-time favorites too. We say this, but all of your products are all-time favorite. <laughs> real. We do use them You're all. You're my all-time favorite too. <laughs> so the chick kit is basically everything you need for what we're talking about. So the chick elixir is a vitamin that you're going to put in the water for your chicks as soon as they get to you. And that way you're giving them all natural organic vitamins right from the beginning. And I love how you have it measured. You use a cat pool to a gallon. There is no hard part of this. It's very easy. So the chick kit has one of my all-time favorite products to use with my own chicks. And that's the first peep. Yes. So it has probiotics, seek help, and it's very finely ground corn. The last batch of chicks I had, I hatched with my Nankin hand. And I had the hen and all of the babies eating that, and they loved it. She would tidbit for them to come over. It was really great. Yeah. It also has the organic oregano essential oil in there to get their digestive systems off to a great start. They will literally flock to it. It's a feed companion that you sprinkle on the chick crumble. Mm-hmm. And they just, they literally, they run to it. So they do. We used it last year for the first time with those chicks that we had and right. they loved it. Yeah. And actually we were both saying to ourselves, our chicks are growing so much quicker with all the extra nutrients from the chick kit. Yeah. So it's amazing stuff. And all the packets kind of work together. So having the packets versus having the flock fixer, if you have it all, you're good. Whichever way works the best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, some people prefer the packets because they just want to focus on electrolytes or whatever, you know, prebiotics and probiotics. That's just fine. And you can also use chicken elixir with either or packet. They all can go together. And that's what I love about strong animal products is they've taken the guesswork out. So many backyard chicken keepers want to use organic essential oils in their flocks, but they don't know how. That's where Strong Animals has come in and said, hey, here you go. And it's really easy. (laughs) Your company has done all the research. We know this is the proper amount that they need to get to get optimum results. This is the way to use those essential oils and feel really, really good about it and not have to worry about mixing and matching yourself. So let's move on to Bye Bye Boo Boo. Love it, love it, love it. Yes. Oh, I love this spray. And I actually just recently got to use it because honestly, I haven't had too many scuffles in our coop where right. you know, picking on each other. But last week I went out and my cute little Tinkerbell, she was all bloody. And I'm oh, like, man, oh my goodness. She's my meal fleur du clay frizzle. So mm-hmm. she's just this tiny little chicken. So I'm like, Ooh. so I grab her and I check her over really good. And they got her good in a couple of places, but I am not kidding. I have pictures to prove it. I brought her in, cleaned her up. I sprayed bye-bye boo-boos on her wounds. And within six hours, you could barely tell that she'd been pecked or whatever they did to her. Amazing. And then I kept her in the house overnight just to be sure. I gave her some flock fixer because that's also a stressful time. And the next morning she went out just like the queen that she is. And I was going to say, she was with you in our last interview. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, She joined me last time. So cute as a button. Oh, and she's as sweet as a button too. You can't go wrong with the Duclay. I know. (laughs) I actually got a few more of those at the end of the season last year because I couldn't get enough. You know, my no rooster rule. I broke that and I have three now. Ooh. The Duclay roosters, they're just so little. It doesn't matter. You know, they don't take up a lot of space. Annie not only works strong animal chicken essentials, she has many chickens of her own and she's using these products over on her own chickens too. This line from Strong Animal Chicken Essentials, it's a great companion to the chicken lady and it offers everyday stuff, stuff for when they're stressed, the Bye Bye Boo Boos. I love the lavender smell of it. Oh, it does smell good. It does smell really good. I did have one of my little girls a few months ago had a little tiny spot of bumblefoot. After we got that scab off every day, I just cleaned it with the Bye Bye Boo Boo, put the ointment on it and bandage it back up and it works wonderfully. That's right. And it's got the organic tea tree essential oil in it as well. And that's where killing the bumblefoot comes in really handy. Is the There's microbial action. Yeah. yeah. I've used that with bumblefoot as well in my flock. Yes, I'm the spokesperson for this company. Yes, I believe in it completely. But it's so fun to watch these products like this Bye Bye Boo Boo. It just it was so incredible to watch it heal so quickly. 
we feel the same way. Strong Animals is a sponsor of the podcast. You have sponsored us since very early on. But if you look at our first aid kits, we have tons of Strong Animal products in there. We use them. They are effective. And, you know, there's really no downside. We have so many people that message us. We want to give our chickens something every single day. The chicken elixir is one product that we both feel really good with telling someone, you can use this every day and it will be beneficial as a daily vitamin. Right. And as always, if you're using vitamins, read your packages. But yes, the chicken elixir is the go-to if you want daily. Because there are so many that are not daily. The other really nice thing about the Strong Animals line is that they can be used in conjunction with a bird that's under doctor's care and getting traditional medicine. You know, you can use them together and that works fantastically well. For sure. And another awesome part about the Bye Bye Boo Boo Spray or Flock Fixer or any of our products is if you do have a sick chicken or a, a wounded chicken, for example, there's no egg withdrawal period. So, you know, some of the products out there, you have to hold your eggs for a time period. And with Bye Bye Boo Boo's, there's just not. You can collect the eggs and eat the eggs and everybody's safe. So one of the last new products that you have is Coupe de Garden. And explain to us about this product, because this is one that we want everyone to understand exactly how to use it, because it can be highly beneficial. It is. Coupe de Garden is our newest product, and we do the deep litter method. So I'm not going to say most, because I really don't know, but I think a lot of people use the deep litter method in their coop. The question is, when you're finished with all the dirty litter, what do you do with it? And so Strong Animals has come up with this product called Coupe de Garden that breaks down your chicken litter two times faster than just leaving it on its own. Plus it infuses it with lemon and lime essential oils and other patented ingredients that cause this rich, deep compost for your gardens. So So essentially it is a safe and effective compost accelerator. Yes, that's exactly what it is. That's wonderful, especially if you're in a small space and can't have a huge compost pile like some of us have. I'm excited to see the results of it. Last fall, I threw all of the dirty bedding. This is what I did. I just threw it right on top of my garden after I pulled everything out. And I'm out there and I'm sprinkling it all over the dirty bedding on my garden. And I've gone out there and it is like this rich. And I thought, could that get any easier? That's fantastic. Can it be used in an enclosed composter? Yes, We've tested in multiple different things. That is one of them. A lot of small space chicken keepers end up having to do the enclosed composting. And then you've also tested it on the big pile that you have sitting outside. Yes. I just love the fact that it's turning everything back to the garden, to the earth. Let's use the nutrients from the chicken poo and help us grow some more flowers for them and some veggies and some good stuff. I opened it up and smelled it and the citrus oil smells so good. That's the best your compost is ever going to smell, I think. Yeah, for sure. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Not to mention all these new products. You still have your same flock fixer that we talked about before and Mm -hmm. those really cool scratch treats, which are gut healthy. Mine love them. When I go over to Tractor Supply, I actually get the treats. They're known over there as spring chicken. They're not known as strong animal chicken essentials. It's a different labeling. Same great stuff. And those treats, they love it. Oh, it's it's wonderful. And it's healthy. Marigolds. Yeah, you have the marigolds right in the formula. I love that. Yeah, that's the golden grays. That's your favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite to give them. I grow marigolds here as long as I possibly can because I'm a big marigold giver. So I'm like, okay, in the times that I can't in the winter, they get it in their scratch treat. Yep. And then Happy Tract is a favorite in my flock. They can't get enough of it. So yeah, that's a really good one. I use that with pretty much everybody, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's just a great Mm -hmm. line for the chicken lady and a great line to feel good about your chickens and their health. You really can't go wrong with it. All of the products have your chicken's health in mind and the health of your family. It's not just for fun. It's not just to make money. We truly care about your flock and your family. Absolutely. You can see it through your products. Each new product that comes out is better than the last. So we just want to thank Annie for coming on, spending this time with us, chatting over Strong Animal Chicken Essentials products, because that's what we love to do. We love those products. The new lineup is just It covers most of the bases for daily care and even like small emergencies. Everything you have right there is what you need to take care of those things. So Annie, thank you so much for joining us and taking all of our listeners through the new products. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be with you ladies today. Anytime whatsoever. We'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are revisiting one of our absolute favorite breeds. The Crested Cream Leg Bar. Cornelia's so happy. 
We have a great interview with homesteader Stephanie and Michelle all about their new book. We had such a great time talking to those ladies. Small space homesteading, absolutely. They're great. Our recipe, we are using Stephanie's rhubarb shrub, and we've made a cocktail with it, the rhubarb gin fizz. And we'll be drinking it a lot. Yes, we will. Retail therapy. We're going to talk about all the poultry products available through Premier One. Yes, and a whole bunch of other homestead stuff too. Yep. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. Thanks for listening.